Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. I do want to get into uh, a new series today. We, we are, and it's still going to be a little bit connected to what we came off of a few weeks ago with the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Good Life. But today we're starting a series leading up to Easter that... We've called the real Jesus, the real Jesus, seeing Jesus through heaven's eyes. And we're going to focus on on three big ideas because when it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to knowing who he is, when it comes to understanding the real Jesus, man, Jesus is one of the most influential yet misunderstood, misinterpreted people in all of history. And so to understand him, there's a, there's a few really key essential things that you have to grasp about who he is and what he did. And the three things that we're going to hit on leading up to Easter are kingdom, cross, and resurrection. Next week, we're going to celebrate baptism with a baptism Sunday. But the idea of kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, what is that all about? It was Jesus' primary message during his time on earth. And you can't understand really much about Jesus unless you understand his message. We heard a lot about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the Sermon on the Mount. He said things like this, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Been thinking a lot about that with this Dimitri situation. So what is this kingdom? He, he came on the scene and he preached the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's among you. All this kingdom talk in his own life led to the cross. Him dying for the sins of the world on the cross. You can't understand Jesus without understanding the cross of Christ, the cross he bore for all of us. And you can't understand the real Jesus without understanding the significance that he rose from the dead, conquered death in the grave through resurrection, which we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday. So today we're going to get into this idea of kingdom, kingdom of heaven, because when we think about the real Jesus, as I mentioned, you can't understand who he is unless you understand his message. And we know this. We all know this, man. Jesus has been misunderstood. He's been used by politicians. He's been villainized, hated, loved, quoted, misquoted. He's been used by cults and religious leaders to manipulate people. He, he is the leader, literally, of the largest religious movement on earth called Christianity. Hands down, the largest movement on earth. Cathedrals have been built in his name. The most beautiful artwork and sculptures have been created in his name. Songs have been composed and written and inspired by him. Hospitals and orphanages have been built in his name. Injustice has been confronted by his followers. Friends, you can do a lot of things with Jesus, but the one thing you can't do is dismiss or ignore him as irrelevant or obscure, or just some holy man in the Middle East who left us with a few good teachings. He's so much more than that. Despite all the persecution, all the scientific evidence against Christianity, all the pushback, all the people claiming he never existed, his message is still changing lives. All around the world, his movement, the movement of Jesus followers is still growing around the planet today. 
And friends, this is why theology matters. Theology is just the study of God. It's having the right understanding of who God is and what he's like. And God said, if you want to know me, just look at Jesus. He's me in human form. He is the God-man. He's God-made flesh. So in honor of theology and study, we're all going to class today. I got a whiteboard on stage. That's how serious today's going to get, friends. I hope you all bought notebooks or something. Uh, you know, and I have this really impossible task. As I got into it this week, studying this idea of kingdom, really what we're looking at is the whole story of the Bible. The whole story of the entire Bible. So for me to like even attempt to hit this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in one Sunday is a little bit hysterical. So I'm going to try and paint some, some broad brush strokes. Pray for me. This is, I'm in over my head. That's what I'm trying to say. I just need your prayers today. But, but here's what I want us to understand. Theology, the study of God and why this matters for you as Christians, as followers of Jesus, why this is important is this. If we don't have a right understanding of the real Jesus, if we don't have a right understanding of, of who God is and what he's about, then we will shrink down the vision of the kingdom of heaven and the gospel. We'll shrink it down to our personal needs. Stick with me here. God cares about your needs. He knows your needs. He's a good father who can provide for you what you need before you even ask him. But think about this. Many of us, especially in America, we have shrunk we have minimized the Christian faith down to personal application. How, how is this faith, how is Jesus going to help me fight my battles? How is he going to help me overcome my anxiety? How is he going to help my marriage, my kids? Jesus, give me my purpose in life. Affirm my identity, Jesus. And look, don't get me wrong. He cares about your personal needs. He cares about your marriage and what you're facing. But friends... The entire vision, the entire reality of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth is a lot bigger than just you. There is something bigger going on here when Jesus showed up. There's something far bigger that he's called all of us into, that he's invited all of us into. And friends, we have to lift our eyes. We have to see the big picture if we are going to rightly understand who Jesus was what his message was about, and how we fit into this story. So I want to read a few verses for us. Mark 1, 14, very first words that Jesus spoke in his public ministry. He said, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, the good news. God's Savior has come. The Messiah has come. He's preaching the gospel and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand right here. The kingdom of God is here right now. Luke eleven twenty. he said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying this in reference to his miracles, all the things that he's done. He goes, there's proof that the kingdom is at hand. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the sick are healed. Those who are oppressed by demons are set free. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew 13, 31 to 32, Jesus said, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed 
that a man planted in his field. Although it's the smallest of all seeds, yet it grows into the largest of garden plants. Was he right? Did he mean it? Was he speaking truth when he spoke that parable? Has Christianity really become the largest movement in the history of the world? Has it literally overtaken the entire garden that is this earth? Has it gone to the ends of the earth? Very close. Matthew 6, 10. When you pray, pray like this. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let heaven invade earth. This is how we're supposed to pray about the kingdom, right? Revelation eleven fifteen, where it's all headed. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world, the earth, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen, somebody. That's where it's headed. The kingdom of this world is now reigned and ruled by the kingdom of heaven and the king of heaven and his name is Jesus. Friends, in order to understand the real Jesus, we have to understand his message. And his message was that he's a king of a kingdom. He's a king of a kingdom. And this kingdom doesn't have borders. It's not stopped by languages or cultures or anything else. It is a kingdom that is open to all through the death of Jesus Christ. All are welcomed in. All are invited. And it's a kingdom that has literally gone to every continent on the earth. So friends, let's put a little definition around this. Let's, let's ask the question, what is it? What is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? Here, here's what it is. The kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus is worshipped as God, honored as Lord, followed as teacher, believed in as Savior, and obeyed as personal and universal king. He's the king of the world, and he's the king of you and me. So the kingdom of heaven, what is it, where is it? It's wherever you are. If you're there as a worshiper of God, honoring Jesus as your Lord, following his teachings as your personal rabbi, if you're believing in him as your savior and obeying him as your king, guess what? Where you are is where the kingdom is. Where you are is where the kingdom of heaven is. It is a place, the kingdom of heaven is the place where Jesus is actively and presently ruling. How can you tell if he's ruling your life actively and presently? Well, have you put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior? That's one sign that he's actively ruling your life. Are you seeking to follow his teachings that were laid out in the Sermon on the Mount? Are you following his, his, his way of life? That's one way to tell that he's actively ruling in your life, both invisible and visible aspects of your life. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 was about being salt and light. Let your good deeds, let the actions of your life Speak loudly and shine like a light that points everyone to your Father in heaven. So there should be actions in your life that let others know I'm a part of the kingdom of heaven. I'm a follower of Jesus. I live according to his standards. I follow his way. That's why I serve others. That's why I lay down my life for others. That's why I give generously. That's why I share my faith and serve my community and, and, and do the things that he instructed me to do. 
there's visible aspects of the kingdom of heaven that are displayed in your life, and there's an invisible reality, a personal walk with Jesus, choosing to, to be with Jesus in prayer and in his word daily, choosing to secretly fast and commune with him. So the kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus is actively ruling and reigning. And if he's actively ruling and reigning in your heart, that's where the kingdom of heaven is, wherever you go, wherever the church goes. And not just together, but individually. But friends, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he showed up and he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is here, it's at hand, it's right in front of your face. That's what it means. But if we don't get the backstory, if we don't understand what he's saying when he shows up and said, the time has been fulfilled. It's right here, right now. The thing you all have been waiting for, it's here. I'm here. I'm here. Kingdom of heaven is here in me. I'm going to show you all what it looks like too. I'm going to heal people. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to welcome the outcast. I'm going to cast out demons. I'm going to walk on water. But friends, if we don't get the backstory, we don't get the message. So it reminds me of this. I, I've talked about this guy before here at the church. He's just an inspiring slash insane guy to me in many ways. Alex Honnold, you know who I'm talking about? The guy who did the free solo documentary, climbed El Cap, Capitan in Yosemite Valley with no rope. You've got a few screws loose if you're going to do that, just bottom line. That's crazy, right? But he did it. Fewer people have done that than walked on the moon. In fact, only one person's done that, Alex Honnold, right? Little lesser known story, before he climbed El Cap, he free soloed with no rope, half dome. No big deal, just a small little warm up for El Cap, right? This was a couple years before he did El Capitan, and then they did a 60 minutes documentary on him. He was one of the segments in there, and it was just a mini little documentary. He had one guy, he didn't really make a big deal out of it, he had one guy following him up the mountain. That guy had ropes. And uh, he had uh, a few camera shots, a few videos. But what was really funny is at the end, the video guy was standing on the top of Half Dome. And if, if you ever climbed Half Dome, you know, the normal way, like up the backside, up the cables, like normal humans, um, there was this young couple kind of sitting, say, if this is the edge of the cliff, you know, 2,000 feet down or whatever it is. I don't even like getting close. I've been up there a couple of times. I don't even like getting close to the edge. This young couple is sitting back here, just enjoying the view, maybe having a snack, having a Gatorade. And suddenly this guy just pops over the edge. Like, whoa. I mean, literally, you see their reaction. They like jump back. And the video guy is just like taking the whole moment in, right? And uh, the, the guy goes, where'd you come from? Did you like scramble down a little bit, then come up? He starts like firing questions. Where are your ropes? Where's your, where's your climbing partner? And Alex is so low key about the whole thing. He's like, oh, I didn't bring any ropes today. I, um, I came from the bottom. The bottom. And you see it like starting to sink in on this couple like, wait, what? Whoa, what? Has, it, has anyone ever done that before? And then he just walks on, hey, you guys have a great day. And they're just stunned. The video guy's following him. But here's the deal. 
Nobody else saw Alex Honnold actually summit the cliff except for that couple. There were hundreds of people up there, but they're looking around. They're doing other stuff. They're, they're looking, you know, at Cloud's Rest, or they're looking down the valley at Taft Point, and they're not paying attention. And Alex just kind of walks through the crowd towards the cable casually just to walk on home. Now, how weird would it be if Alex Honnold walked up to some group who obviously didn't see him just do that? They have no idea he just did something that no one else in the history of the planet had ever done. The most unthinkable thing ever to free solo half dome, death-defying, terrifying, unreal. Imagine if he walked up to some group who had no clue what he had just done. They didn't get the backstory, and he was like, I'm here. I am at hand. Do you understand what's going on here? Alex Honnold has arrived, and I am, I am speaking to you now. I made it, guys. I made it to the top. They'd be like, cool, man. We did, too. The cables were a little sketchy. Uh, good on you, though, man. That's great. Here's my grandma. She made it up, too. A lot of, hey, hundreds of people made it up here today, but I'm proud of you. Way to go. If they don't get the backstory. His, his announcement, his arrival, his message completely loses its weight. Who cares? A lot of people make it up Half Dome. Only one guy ever made it up Half Dome without a rope on the front side, the cliff side. And so with Jesus, when he shows up on the scene and he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what is he saying? What does this mean? Uh... Well, here's what it means. I hope you brought notes. Notebook. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My wife walked in, and she saw this, and she just goes, what are you doing? Like, babe, we're going to seminary today. I got a whiteboard. I don't even know if I'm going to use it. Maybe we can use this. We'll start here. Um, I think it's going to, hopefully it's big enough. We're starting here, okay? When Jesus says, it's been fulfilled, it's here, it's arriving, what is he saying? Well, let's go back to creation. His message is anchored in Eden, the Garden of Eden, okay? In creation, in the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth are united. God is walking with his people in the cool of the day, right? He has perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. There's no sin. There's no death. There's no decay. It's paradise. It's perfection. All is good in the world. Heaven and earth are one. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth are one. And then we know how the story goes. I put a big red line here just to sim you know, symbolize it. The fall. Humanity turned their back on God. They disobeyed God. They were separated from God. They were cast out of Eden, which was the place of God's dwelling on earth, the place where communion with God was had. So they were cast out from Eden. Earth is broken. Death reigns. Death enters the scene. Within, within one generation, we have murder and lying and just wars breaking out. God, however, in this moment, right after the fall, I love it, right after the breaking of the world, he makes a promise. He says, one day, the offspring of a woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. The serpent represents all that's gone wrong. The serpent represents sin and death and Satan and evil and the thing that ultimately led to the breaking of the world. God goes, one day, one day, I'm going to send someone to crush the head of the serpent and to make all things right again. 
I'm going to restore everything that's been lost and broken. So even in the fall, God brings hope. Well, how does he do that? What's the first step in his plan? Fast forward to Genesis 12. A couple other really intense things happen in between there. But Genesis 12, he chooses a guy named Abram, later known as Abraham. And he goes, Abram, I am asking you to follow me. I want you to leave your family, your nation, your land, everything, follow me. I'm going to make you, Abraham, a great nation. Your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. And through you, Abram, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through you, I'm going to begin the restoration of all things. Through you, Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith because he just goes, okay. I have no idea what that means, but... You just appeared to me as Yahweh, following you. Here we go. So Abraham is chosen. He has lots of descendants. Abraham's offspring become a nation called Israel. All of this is happening in what we call the present age, so right now. So Israel happens. Now in the Old Testament, here's the question. What is the representation of God's reign on earth, of God's rule on earth, physically and visibly in the Old Testament? It's the nation of Israel. It's the people of Israel. These are God's chosen people. He says, I'm, I'm choosing a people who are going to show the world what I'm like. They're only going to worship one God, the true God, me. Everyone else is going to worship lots of gods. They're going to follow my law. What's the law? We learned about this last week, the golden rule. Jesus said, you can sum up all the law and the prophets in two things. Love God, love others. So these people are going to love God. They're going to love others. I'm going to provide for them, protect them. I'm going to save them. I'm going to bring them out of captivity. I'm going to raise up a guy named Moses who's going to be a deliverer. I'm going to raise up a guy named Joshua who's going to lead them to the promised land. And over and over and over again, we see through the Old Testament these, these symbolic pictures of the cross and of Jesus. And Israel represents God's kingdom. He's like, I am actively their king. They're following me. I'm covering, covering them as a cloud by day and leading them as a fire by night through the wilderness. God is their king. Now, maybe you know how the story goes. In the first book of Samuel, after they make it to the promised land, Israel comes to Samuel and they say, we want to have a king like every other nation. And Samuel goes to God and he goes, they're asking for a king. They don't understand what this means. This is not going to go well for them. He's going to take their, their wives and their daughters and their children. He's going to make them serve and pay taxes, and he's going to gain power, and it's going to be like all the other nations. And God goes, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Don't take it personal. I'm their king. I'll give them a prince who's supposed to follow me because I'm the king of this nation. We know how this goes. Saul comes along, right? Doesn't go well with Saul, then David comes along, goes better with David. David is a man after God's own heart. David is a picture of the Messiah. He's a picture of the offspring of the woman that will one day crush the head of the serpent. He's the next installation of the promise on the way of the kingdom of heaven spreading to the ends of the earth and making all things new again. Are you following the thread of the story? Do I need to go to the whiteboard? Don't make me go to the whiteboard. So here, here in, this, in this reality of Israel, they are God's chosen nation to represent his kingdom on earth. 
Love God, love others, follow God. God is their king and protector, and they are called to be different from the other nations. They are waiting for God's king and savior. They're looking for the the time to be fulfilled when Messiah would come. In the midst of this story, there is a tabernacle and then later a temple, which is, again, one step closer to Eden. Heaven and earth coming back together. God dwelling with his people. In the tabernacle, that's, that's the place, God's house on earth. Now, it wasn't like Eden. It wasn't like anyone could just walk into the temple or the tabernacle and be like, yo, how's it going, Father? Couldn't do that. You had to have one guy one time a year who had access through a very specific sacrifice to be in the presence of God. So he's in their midst, but the separation is still there. It's still real. Again, this is all part of the restoration plan. The restoration plan, the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, literally and physically, not just through the small nation of Israel, but to the ends of the earth, to where God can be with his people again and restore all things. Enter Jesus. Jesus shows up. So you have prophets, you have captivity, you have 400 years of silence, you have a people of God who've been cast out from their nation, and they're saying, God, when will you send the Messiah? When will you bring us freedom? Lord, when will you rescue us? When are you going to fulfill the promise of Genesis 3? Jesus shows up, and he goes, I'm here. Not what you're expecting, but the time is fulfilled the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Jewish people hearing that would be like, what? Lord, we need someone a little bit like more intense, strong, and inspiring. We were hoping for like a Herod figure or like a Caesar type figure who would lead us to victory and set us free from our captives, Rome. And so there's this shock, this surprise, and and God says, look, my kingdom I'm putting on notice the kingdoms of the world. My kingdom is not going to function like the kingdoms of the world. It will go bigger and longer and stronger than any kingdom in the history of the world. It will reach to the ends of the earth, but my king and my kingdom are different. They're different. So Jesus shows up as God's king. He starts a new creation by defeating death and rising from the grave and opens a door to God's kingdom to everyone. Everyone through faith in him. The kingdom of heaven then begins to expand to the whole earth as the gospel is shared and people receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as their King and Savior. They begin to follow his ways and do the things that he's called us to do. But I thought about this. I'll go. I tried to simplify this slide a little bit. So you've got creation in Eden. You've got Abraham. Israel becomes a nation. Israel is a representation of God's kingdom on earth. The temple is God with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the beginning of God's kingdom spreading to the ends of the earth and a whole new creation, right? Still in this present age, Jesus is not reigning and ruling as the sole monarch of the world yet. And the kingdom of God goes global through the church, through you and I. Y'all sticking with me? Heads nodding? I'm really trying here. I know it's a big chart. Um, But then here's the crazy thing. We're waiting and looking forward to the day that Jesus returns. And look, new creation, new Eden, heaven comes back to earth. So the, the goal of the story is to restore everything back to where it started in the beginning. And that's why when Jesus returns, he says, Behold, I've come to make all things new. Every tear is wiped away. 
All pain and sorrow were gone. Heaven has come to earth. The kingdoms of the world have now become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forevermore. He said, look, I know things went bad in the fall, but I got a plan to bring it all the way back to where things started. And friends, it's not going to be this little temporary present age. It's going to be what the Bible calls the age to come, and it's going to go on forever, the way it was intended. So when Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, kingdom's here, they're like, really? It's a, I mean, they're thinking this. They're thinking this. And he goes, no, it's just the beginning. And he goes, look, it's going to be like a mustard seed. Remember what he said in Matthew 13? This is actually the seed of a giant sequoia. I thought that was a little more relevant for us than a mustard seed. That's what a giant sequoia starts as. And he goes, yeah, it's going to be this, this little tiny seed. And the band can come out with this. I'll be closing with this. And it's going to be planted in the ground, first and foremost by me and my death on the cross, but then later by you. As you seek to live this out, as you choose humility, as you choose to love others and love God first with your life, and eventually... As you build hospitals in my name, as you plant churches in my name, as you build cathedrals and schools and orphanages, as you care for your neighbors at things like For the 50 and Love the 50 Week, as you stand for justice like William Wilberforce did, fighting to end the slave trade in England, as Martin Luther King did, um, calling calling for, for civil rights, for, for the reality of African Americans to be treated with equality. As Mother Teresa did, caring for the poor, all these little seeds are being planted and all across the world, um, organizations like Compassion International that are reaching millions of kids worldwide with the gospel. Every time a doctor goes to Honduras from our church or a local church in town and provides free care, every time a house is built in Mexico for the past 20 years by our church until a city is built down there, every single time an act of love or care is done in the name of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven gets a little bigger to the point now where every other major religion on earth pales in comparison to what Jesus started. Every other major religion on earth, 99% of the people that, that are Islamic, they live within a hundred, or I think it's, they live within some geographic uh, proximity to where it began. In other words, it hasn't crossed cultures very successfully. It has a little bit. Buddhism, the same thing. It's mainly, it's mainly in Asia. Of course, there are Buddhists in America and other places. But when you look at Christianity, the center of Christianity isn't even America or the West anymore. It's Africa and Latin America. And we don't fully know what's happening in China, but we're pretty sure from the reports that revival is going on. And there's like 80 million Christians meeting in house churches. Christianity swept to the ends of the earth. Why? Because it resonates with the longing of every human heart. Because there's a king named Jesus. And how did he become king? How did he do it? What was his coronation? Was it a golden crown and a golden throne in the biggest castle of the day? No, it was a crown of thorns. 
It was a robe that was hung on his bloodied back as mockery. Hail, King of the Jews. It was a sign nailed to the top of a wooden cross that he carried through the streets that labeled him the King of the Jews. How did Jesus become king? How did God choose to coronate his king? By dying for the sins of the world, going to the grave and saying, Grave, you've been around for a long time. Death, you've been around for a long time, and you've had your way with every person who has ever lived, but not anymore. There's a new king in town. Kingdom of heaven is about to be unleashed on earth, and I'm about to, about to take people from spiritual death to life, and they're going to do things in my name that you can't imagine. The kingdom of heaven is here, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. People are going to know the way their God loves them and feels for them, and they're going to want to treat others that way. And person by person, one act of love at a time, one act of justice at a time, the kingdom of heaven, which started as a seed, will grow to the largest living organism on the planet. That sequoia was General Sherman. It's the largest living organism on the planet. Friends, the church of Jesus Christ is the largest living organism on the planet. And this is what we're a part of, the kingdom of heaven. How do you get in to this kingdom? It's a free gift. It's called grace putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your King, submitting and surrendering to him in your heart as King because of what he did for you on the cross. And friends, I hope today you have some sense of the big picture, the tapestry that God is painting and where we're heading to new creation, new Eden, a restoration of the way it was meant to be. Right now we're going to close with communion. And we've thought about this idea of kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus started. But communion represents the cross. And in a couple weeks, we're going to talk further about the coronation of God's king on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now in Jesus' name that we would be ambassadors of your kingdom first and foremost. A kingdom that will never end. A kingdom that has surpassed every other kingdom of earth. It's lasted longer. It's reached further, and it hasn't done it through force or violence or military aggression. It's done it through servanthood and love and acts of compassion. And Lord, I pray right now we would be representation of your kingdom on earth. We remember the cross, and we take communion in this moment. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.